Welcome to Journey to the Centre of Food. My name's Jay Taylor, I'll be your host for this adventure, along with our font of all foodie facts, James Winter. Hello. <laughs> and on today's show, as the night starts to draw in and everything gets colder, we thought we'd treat ourselves to the one thing that makes all that better, booze. That's right, we are going to be welcoming an especial guest host this week who is going to be telling us how to get drunk with James Bond and revealing some of the world's weirdest wines. We're going to be inducting more splendid and stupid kitchen gadgets into our Hall of Fame. And we're going to be trying to figure out how to make actual alcoholic clouds that can rain. So without further ado, grab yourself a glass and jump on board for a slightly wobbly journey to the centre of food. Hello James, how are you sir? I'm very good, thanks. Very good. Very excited to be here, as always. Are you feeling the autumn gloom starting to creep up on you? Uh, uh, a, a little bit. It's lovely sunshine too, Jay. You know, I'm fresh from a, a brisk five-kilometre run around Dorney Lake in Eton. Uh, oh. one, of, uh, one of the treats of working in the, uh, the sort of Windsor environ. So, yeah, I'm no, fresh from a trip to Bolton where it did nothing but drizzle oh. on me constantly. Well, that's, that is for joys of the north. <laughs> it's Beyond the, the wall. The Beyond the wall, and we know we've got lots of lots of listeners down under who are, I'm sure, just rolling their eyes at us. We're whinging about going into winter, but it, it does feel a little bit like we're sort of. Yeah, but this is the, the good hatches. bit, though. This is the good bit. This is where there's, there's still some good food to be had, and the seasons are changing, the leaves are falling, and they're all rustling. You can put your scarf on for the first time in a while. It's exciting. It's when you get to January, February that we're all fed up with it. So uh, yeah, yeah. At know. this point, it's just pubs, isn't it? It's like oh, I absolutely. Should for, we should go for a Sunday roast. We should just, go for a Sunday roast. We'll just go for a pint by the fire. <laughs> Yeah, it's only Tuesday. Let's go for let's go for a pint by the fire. Um, well, talking about that, uh, that's a segue, by the way. How do you like that? Um, we are going to be talking all about booze with our very special guest host this week. Let's welcome him in. He is a, a brace yourself, Ollie. His is a, is a bigging you up now. Uh, he, he is a multi award winning wine expert, TV personality, and author. He also has his own very wonderful podcast called A Glass With, where he interviews some really big-name celebrities, Trevor McDonald's, Kylie's, all these big people talking about booze. And today, we have him at the controls of our submarine. It's Ollie Smith. Hello, Ollie. Hello. How lovely to be here. I've got, I've got my glass in hand, my imaginary <laughs> glass of sherry, actually. It's that time of the year. You were saying things are creeping in, and I feel that sort of move away from the warmth into the sort of the, the cool framing of the winter months. It's sherry time. Totally sherry time. I invented it actually last year, this concept that I come up with called Sherry Wednesdays, which means that whatever you're doing on a Wednesday, just stop doing it and start drinking sherry. It makes the winter go a whole lot better. It's amazing. Surely somewhere, it's always Wednesday somewhere in the world. That's the other one. It certainly is. For all of our taxi driving listeners, no. <laughs> well, pull over, throw the keys in the hedge, and, you know, if you've got a deck chair, sit outside. If the weather's clement enough, build a fire. Sherry Wednesdays. Oh, I, I, had, I sort of had a breakthrough a couple of years ago when I suddenly, because for my mind, sherry was just something my mum drank. And yeah. it was sort of in tiny glasses and not something I had. And then I'd one day I just tried it. I was like, this is fabulous. Yeah. Why have we not, why have we not known about this all along? I know. It's, this- it's the very sip of it just turns you into the roaring lion at the beginning of the MGM movies. You're just full of vim and vigor <laughs> and power. And it's, it's, it's something that I think it's the intense flavors that are both its greatest strengths. And also it can be a little off putting, but I, I would urge anybody listening, wherever you are in the world, you know, there really truly is a sherry for every moment. You know, you can have cool, bright Fino right through to very rich, sweet, px and everything in between and it is one that i always come back to at this time of the year and then wonder why i don't sip it every single wednesday of the year in fact i'm going to from this moment on <laughs> wednesdays will be my exclusive sherry days i'm in sherry wednesdays yeah sherry wednesdays i've actually got that written on a on a top that a great friend of mine had made for me with a little logo so anyway, we should start a club anyone can join there's no barrier to entry it's free you just have to enjoy some sherry on a wednesday and tell us about it oh fabulous right for everyone out there please get indulgent your sherry wendy's now ollie you and you and james go back way back right james we is have a legend we have a little life. history we have a little history I, th- I think we probably bonded over sherry um you know ollie introduced <laughs> me to the joys of sherry um very early on and 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 you know we've had many adventures we've worked together on telly and just hung out together and and he's a he's a wonderful company we went we went to rioca together we did. We did. Briefly. Although I can't remember all that much about it, Ollie. <laughs> we did we, have a, I'll a tell you incredible... What we did. 
There was one evening where we drank from goblets and we drank gin that was luminous and it was, they were the size of the moon. Moon juice. Moon juice. Moon yes. juice it was. Yeah, I owe James, you know, an enormous debt of kind of glory in the work, but just so many enjoyable memories like moon juice. It was 3am in a Cuban club in Bilbao. That's where we were. <laughs> Yeah, do you remember? We With got all, our wonderful friend Jose Pizarro just yeah. dancing. Yeah. Thinking... Like Bob Dylan lyrics that. That's brilliant. I remember <laughs> we were sort of presented to a, a really, in my, I mean, maybe you can verify this, James. In my, in my imagination, Jay, we were in this sort of club at three in the morning. And we were sort of presented to a large Oliver Reed-like character as though we had to get the nod to not be assassinated and continue enjoying our <laughs> evening. I, I don't know, how, how accurate does that feel to you, James? <laughs> Well, I, I was obviously blissfully unaware of this, <laughs> <laughs> this, okay, this yeah. critical moment. Yeah. And I, just, I just blissfully walked in and, and ordered some moon juice. Moon juice. Yeah, it was good. It was good. <laughs> but yes, we do have previous. So James and I have worked together. We've travelled together. We've shared a love of sherry. Now, Ollie, I introduced you with your, your podcast at the start. But just before we came on air, you were talking about the fact that you've obviously interviewed loads of different celebrities and very famous people within this and you were talking about celebrity wine and yes. so that to come on your podcast are people do they have to be passionate booze enthusiasts or just passing that's a really good question I've, I, I've i've had both i've had people who really enjoy wine people who make and grow wine like pink was a guest on the show and she has her own vineyard in her in her home actually in a winery there and is that hands-on kylie you pink on your show that's yeah amazing. That's she was my record. first ever guest on a glass with and I, I remember we flew out to los angeles to interview pink and then we're driven up to you know her, her kind of estate and ranch and you know there you are with 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 Alicia as she's called, just having an absolutely charming time, and it it, it really never occurred to me at the time how enormous it was. But yeah, it, Pink Pink was so knowledgeable about it actually, and, and really very generous with her her kind of the details about what she was trying to do with wine and then you know you get sort of that level of interest to Kylie who's obviously made her own wine uh, but then we've I've had teetotal guests on as well I just think if you've got an interest in flavour and drinks you know a nice little thread through your life that's that's plenty to go on and um, yeah recorded one the other day Trevor McDonald I mean he was just absolutely delightful I mean I could drink his voice if I was allowed to it's just that's true he's so oh, gentle as well when you're yes. around him I was we, we filmed with him once and he was just so wonderful you just yeah. want to hang around with them. He's yeah. lovely. Yeah, and I think he's the sort of character actually who, you know, erudite and interesting and extraordinary tales from the front line of journalism. But equally, you know, I'd abs- I just loved having a glass with him. And then we actually stayed for lunch at the River Cafe where we'd recorded it. And it was one of the great afternoons of my life. Dappled sunlight, Sir Trevor MacDonald. And then he started quoting pink lyrics at me. <laughs> I'll never forget this. And it transpires that Sir Trevor MacDonald is the world's biggest fan of pink. Which just what? thrilled me, absolutely oh, thrilled me. This is and this is the sort of thing you'd only probably find out uh, over a glass of wine, right? Well, over Otherwise, a few glasses of wine, it doesn't <laughs> come straight away, does it? I mean, but yes, you're right. Have you, have you had Sam Neill on? I have. Do you know? Yes, because yeah, we went to his vineyard a little while ago for TV. Well, I, as always in television, one step removed. We yes. filmed there, but yes. I just had to look at the footage of afterwards. Course. But he's a huge, huge enthusiast. Huge right? enthusiast. And actually, you know, there are celebrity wines and then there are celebrity wines. And Sam's wine, genuinely, Two Paddocks, is a wine that I buy regularly you know and I think it is up there with some of the greatest Pinot Noir in the world and I'm not just saying that because he's Sam Neill I'm saying it because I've tasted the wines blind back to back next to some of them and they really stand up so hats off Mm. to Sam and then you know interestingly last week I was I think I was I think I was the first person in the UK outside of the Gary Barlow uh, infrastructure to taste Gary Barlow's wines and they're eight quid in Morrison's Barlow got wines Barlow's got wines yeah and I was really excited because I'm all for you know people like Gary getting involved I know Gary likes wine actually he's 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 well into it but for him to do an eight quid organic spanish red and an eight quid organic spanish white and for them to be as good as they actually are i really did like them and i thought do you know what they almost i don't mean this to be sounding like a backhanded backhanded compliment they almost don't need to be as good as they are they're really delicious and actually, Mrs. Smith, you know, especially the red, I, I turned my back and looked around, and the, the, I'm not saying the whole bottle had vanished in a in a blink, but quite quite a big dent had been made wow. into, into Barlow's red. 
What's it called? Uh, Gary Barlow's wine. Gary Barlow's organic wines. I think that Gary Gary Barlow wines. I think is the Instagram handle. But um, but I think you know celebrities getting into anything is always quite interesting. When you know, I found out that Tom Selleck was an avocado farmer, and I just I love all this. You just think I once tried to pitch a TV show called Celebrity Sidelines, where you just go and hang out with celebrities who are not known. Oh, wouldn't you like to go picking avocados with Tom Tom Selleck? Yeah, (laughs) just you know, hanging off his moustache, reaching up into a tree because he's obviously you know. you obviously have to come down in a helicopter, yeah, and then straight into the uh, the Ferrari. Yeah, yeah. Oh, brilliant. The wine shirts yeah. all round, but yeah. Can no. you tell us which celebrity has the worst wine? That's a great oh, question. I like um, I, who's have I? Uh, do you know what? I did. I wasn't amazed by the wines of Vince Neil when I tried them a long time ago from Motley Crue. But it was it was probably to be honest, it was more of a, a flavour thing than anything else. From memory, I think they were a little bit rich on the oak, um, a Chardonnay. I seem to recall. But you know, I've got in my cellar. I've got tucked away Pink Floyd's Rosé that I've never I've never had the the kind of audacity to even open because I regard it <laughs> yeah. as such a prize. You know, Gosh, Pink Floyd so cool. Rosé. I mean, that you can't make this stuff up. We've got to be in a simulation. This can't be real, can it? I mean, <laughs> would you- I'm, I'm having a flashback to a very early TV escapade with Ollie where we did an item on Celebrity Wines. Yeah. And that was where I first tasted Sam Neill's Two Paddocks wine and still buy it today. It's magical. And there was also a, a, a Francis Ford Coppola wine, yes. which was like, I mean, it was a Californian yeah. you know, head-banging stuff. Yeah. And, and and I think there was, was there one by Gerard Depardieu, who would make yes, sense, right. wasn't it? But oh, they were all, as you sense. say, but you, you were right, they were all, apart from Sam's at the time, was quite affordable. It's it's less affordable now. Yeah, it's gone up it in price because it's such good quality. But the others were, were, were expensive wines. But, I mean, hats off to Gary Barlow for making an eight-pound bottle of wine. I mean, he's all about the people, right? He wants as many people to enjoy his music, his wine, his everything. I mean, he's it's just absolutely <laughs> to Gary Barlow I mean that's brilliant you national treasure total oh, national God, yeah. treasure yeah. Yeah. Which, celebrity, which celebrity who doesn't make wine do you think should make oh, wine that's Is a there, brilliant I, that, question like, does the Queen make wine does she the have Queen wine? actually I think there is some wine now growing at Windsor you know I think there is I'm not sure I'm even allowed to say that but I'm I'm saying it so it's probably it's probably true and if it's libelous it's not true but I'm pretty I'm fairly confident that Her Majesty <laughs> she's not listening we're she's, fine she's dabbling <laughs> uh, she's got a, got a hand in there I definitely think some 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 interesting characters like oh who would Steven Seagal Steven Seagal oh, one yes. would be special now you've just melted my heart into the warm <laughs> lava of delight because I'm a I'm a colossal enthusiast for the uh, parallel realm of Steven Seagal have you read the book Seagology no oh, what's that Jay I'm going to post it to you I mean for all of you listeners out there who have a passing interest in I'm not even going to say Stephen Seagal. I'm just going to say in the absurd, you've just got to read it. It's a very detailed look at all of his films. And it actually ended up in a wager between me and my friend Nick to see... He bet me we had a year to get that we had to get a response from a celebrity. And he picked Stephen Seagal for me. I picked for him Dirk Benedict, face from the A-team. And awesome. my tack to get to Stephen was very much not to talk about films. So I approached him sort of quite gingerly. I think at the time he'd started a, I want to say a sort of a, like a religion, really. Uh, but it was I'd sort hope of, so. I'd yeah, hope something so. like, it was on the, along those lines. But actually I went in with his music because I'd researched him quite thoroughly and, you know, I've listened to his albums and he, he was incredibly genial and we, we got chatting on social media and I absolutely slam dunked the bet within, within weeks, if not months. But did Nick <laughs> get in touch with Dirk Benedict? No, you completely failed. Oh, oh, no, I know, oh. I know. And actually, I thought of the two. Benedict would be, he was at the time, I think he was overdoing Celebrity Big Brother. I thought he'd be quite an easy one to, mm. to snag. But um, uh, this is making me sound creepier than I am, by the way. <laughs> I'm, I'm just recommending Steven Seagal's book. All the rest of the stuff I just said was conjecture. It may or may not have happened. <laughs> It just sounds like a good story. <laughs> and of course, for the foodies out there, Seagal is for you know the, the movie chef of all time. You know, exactly. Yeah. He is chef. the chef. Yeah, you know. he is the chef. Now, I just want to pause here quickly to introduce you to a new sponsor of ours, who I think you might be really interested in. Did you know that one in four of us suffer from gut health issues like IBS, abdominal pain, gas and bloating? I think we can all agree we've had those, especially during the stress of the past few years. And it's one of those things you think that there is no solution to and actually you just need to take a slog of tonic water and push through it. Well, actually, that's not true. Gut health is vital to our general health and wellness. And did you know that 70% of our immune system is in our gut? It helps fight viruses and other illnesses, which we know are flying around us at the moment. The gut's also linked to mental health, and it's linked to improving sports performance and our general well-being. 
The good news is, if you have any gut health issues or are just looking to optimize your gut health, our new sponsor, Suns, have a product for you. Suns Live Bacterial Supplement is clinically proven to treat digestive troubles and improve your gut health. What does it do? Well, it binds with the lining of your gut, strengthening the gut wall and making it better able to deal with what's thrown at it. It's backed up by over 50 clinical trials, making it one of the most studied bacteria in the world. Some of the stats from the trials are pretty impressive too. It was effective in helping 8 out of 10 men with their gut issues in just one study. So, what's your gut saying now? You can check this product out at suns.co.uk and the good news is you can use the code JOURNEY30, so J-O-U-R-N-E-Y 30, JOURNEY30, to get £30 off your first order and get your gut into healthy condition. Right, let's get back to some booze now. Ollie, we were going to talk, or you were going to talk to us, about James Bond yes. booze. Now, yes. this is one of those. This should be one of those clever tie-ins with the film, shouldn't it? But I think it started a few weeks ago, and we're probably going to. Well, yes, that, it, it was on. I mean, have you seen? Have you actually seen it? I won't do any spoilers, but I was in, I was invited to the premiere by Champagne Bollinger of all things. Can you believe oh, in real life? That's I know. A big drop. That's it really impressive. is. I mean, but I'm just saying thank you to them. Really, it was just really nice of them to you know join the dots and say, yeah, Ollie's a bit of a Bond fan. We should probably. He likes wine. Let's. I know what we'll do. We'll invite him to the premiere. So it was, it, for me, you know, growing up. I was a massive Bond fan and and loved the kind of the world of it and um I, th- I think there's a lot to talk about in terms of the habits and drinks of Bond. Interestingly, in this last film, No Time to Die, that the the Bollinger seems to have slightly vanished. Uh, I know that they, they they definitely were in some scenes, but I, I just couldn't quite spot it. So I, I feel like th- this needs to be addressed. You know, he's the Bollinger is in the, the, the Bond and Bollinger moment stretches back. I think it was was it Moonraker the first one where he drank the Bollinger. It certainly stretches back to Roger's tenure. Um, is it always? been Bollinger he's drunk no well, well in the what? books he used to drink uh, Dom Perignon and I think mm. Tattinger as well and actually Dom features in a, it's Spy Love Me at the end Roger when he's let's get out of these wet things and and he's popping up <laughs> yeah he's, there he is he just it just arrived uh, mysteriously we're recording this the day before his birthday by the way tomorrow oh, happy, is his birthday happy, yeah. so, happy tomorrow birthday. I was watching The Man birthday. with the Golden Gun oh, two days ago Jay. and just going this is and there's lots of Champagne and Dom Perignon in glasses. that. Yeah, Dom Perignon. Yeah, he shoots the top off the bottle. Um, yeah. Oh yes, I yeah. couldn't. I couldn't resist it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's brilliant. Yes. That's crazy. Yeah, and I think his, you know, the heritage and it's changed an awful lot because you know, obviously now Heineken as a sponsor of the films, you see him swigging from a bottle of Heineken, which a lot of the fans have kind of come out against. And actually, I feel less het up about it because the, the reality is, if you are in an international hotel and it's in the fridge and it's art day, you. Quite probably quite happily reach for one and just crack on. Um, although you know, obviously you know, craft beer and you know, it's all very wonderful. But it it's it sort of feels like well, it's not a million miles away from the realms of possibility. That, but the thing I think that is kind of changing is he's he's really got into his Bordeaux. In the last few movies, Angelus, this this high end Bordeaux has been featuring. Q was drinking it in the latest film. Bond picks really? a glass up, starts swigging from Q. Q's invited a date round. Bond just muscles in there. He really is so rude. Picks up the wine, <laughs> starts drinking it. Bosses Q around. You're not going to have a date tonight. You're coming to work with me, and I'm going to drink your bottle of Bordeaux. Now, what kind of colleague is that? Who does that? <laughs> <laughs> just but he, he'd be an absolute git to work with, wouldn't he? Oh, he's he just would he, not be popular. The, the reality is, the man is appalling. I mean, he's a dreadful, <laughs> dreadful human being. There is literally no characteristic in his current makeup that I would go, yeah, no, I'd love to have, ha- meet and hang out with that guy. But on the other hand, just the world of it is so brilliantly absurd mm. and it's so luxurious. And, you know, me as a kind of nerd you know with going back to Bollinger I remember I was having I mean some of the things that I get to do as a as a wine writer are just extraordinary I was once invited halfway up the Eiffel Tower to a Bond themed lunch by Champagne oh. Bollinger and Barbara Broccoli was there you know I had the most incredible experience wow. and then after the lunch Jerome Philippon pours out this bottle with a tea towel around it and says you know I'm going to pour this for all of you top journalists from around the world have flown you in and you're going to tell me what it is without knowing so it goes around the room and everyone's having a guess. So I think it's the 1982 Grand Anne and gets closer and closer to me and I'm getting more and more nervous and Barbara Broccoli is just jabbing me in the ribs saying, come on, Ollie, don't let me down. I'm like, oh yeah, my gosh, yes, sorry. <laughs> I've got it. Well, I mean, 6 99 on a Saturday morning.
morning in Aldi, I'm absolutely all over it. But this <laughs> somehow feels a little bit above the pay grade. But yeah, I suddenly thought, hang on a sec, I know what this wine is. And there I am in my stupid shirt and clashing jacket and standing up with my little piggy trotters, shaking with nerves. And I said, Jerome, Barbara, I think I know what this wine is. I think this is the 1975 Bollinger RD. And Jerome goes, oh, well, that's an interesting guess. Why do you think it's that wine? And I said, because, Jerome, in A View to a Kill, Roger Moore comes to this exact restaurant halfway up the Eiffel Tower. He's given a glass of champagne. He sniffs it and he says, Bollinger 75. <laughs> and his dining companion <laughs> says, I see you are a connoisseur. And I was right, just by that. Oh, no. And look, I've got it on my desk, the empty oh, bottle. This no, is the no. bottle that I'm now holding That's up so and showing cool. aloft. This is my prized possession. So in addition to Hulk Hogan on my desk, I have this empty magnum, which you know I always pat for good luck because I, I just feel colossally fortunate to do what I do for a living. And then as you saw earlier when I held it up before we started recording, I do also have a picture of George Harrison, who I also adore. <laughs> I just think that was just the best. Well, it's not mic drop in your world, is it? It's probably bottle drop moment. Yeah. You just pulled that out because it's mm. just so cool. You knew what it was in that moment. I love the fact that you see it through the... You see, everyone sees you know films and things in different things, and you see it through the prism of that, of wine and that, which is so yeah. cool. And I'm sure in like, your life, when you first... Or do you remember your first experience of any kind of alcohol, not just wine... Any kind of alcohol, the yeah. first time you were ever aware it existed. Yeah, I think I do, you know, and I've never been asked that, Jay. It's a brilliant, it's an absolutely brilliant question. And I'm immediately transported to crossing France in a very cramped VW Golf with mum and dad and my brother Will. He was reading, I think, Watership Down on the back of the car. And I was probably reading, you know, a terrible comic. I can't even remember, Vic- Victor, something like that. I can't, dreadful. Um, but I was, yeah, I remember dad sitting on the end of a very a bed in a very cramped hotel and we we're all kind of, you know, jollying along as we kind of crossed France on this summer holiday. And in pulling off the tin, in the old days you peeled them off, the ring pull, and they came off as one bit and they were razor sharp. And it was actually, very neatly segueing back into Bond, it was a can of Heineken. And I do remember, because he allowed me to have a sip, and I don't know how old I was, but it's kind of neither here nor there really, but I remember t- tasting it and thinking that the liquid tasted exactly the same as the metal. And I had this extraordinary kind of, I couldn't get over this tangy, non-sweet, quite cold, quite big, fizzy. And I just remember thinking, it's li- it, it just is cold liquid metal, which doesn't make any sense. But obviously as a kid, I've, oh, ne- yeah. I've never kind of had a savoury liquid like that. So mm. yeah, I did, that was pro- that's my first memory of um of of any alcoholic drink actually is, is Heineken. So that's a great sponsor for the show. I'm glad we did the deal. Um, yeah, it's huge. <laughs> thanks so now. much to any- all the execs and everybody uh, uh back, back in the Heineken, we'll Heineken, Heineken that can of Heineken. Yeah. Just gonna keep Liquid saying metal. Heineken. Just keep saying here. it. Yeah. Can we retire now? Is that is that what happens? They just Yeah, great. Heineken. James, what was yours? James, what was your I, first I, experience? I was talking, I was trying to remember and I have a I have a memory again of, of an of an ageless time, maybe ten, maybe quite young actually, because I'm somewhere between ten and thirteen, where we used to, as a group of friends, sort of sneak back into our school sort of playground and hang around and play football and stuff on the playground. And somebody having it must have been Heineken too, because I can see a green mm. can, and I think there was only one beer in our childhood, which was Heineken. <laughs> it I mean, was I don't the know only what, one? Yeah, and and it was either a can or or a bottle, and sort of trying it, and and I, I didn't think liquid metal. I just remember thinking, I just don't like this. It was yeah, you know, yeah. it's bitter <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. and probably warm, you know, because some kid had had it in his rucksack for three days and stolen it from his dad's <laughs> fridge or whatever, you know, and and it just wasn't very pleasant. But it was something exhilarating about that first touch of the of the adult world which i you know my parents weren't massive boozers and my dad never drinks beer i'd never seen him drink a bottle of beer in my life but for some reason it just felt like a, a rite of passage at that moment and obviously you share it all round and you've got one bottle between eight of you and you all you know you you, you pretend you're all drunk but not really you know it's kind of it that, so that's probably it so i was probably about 10 or 12 when i did that but it wasn't till many years in fact probably my time with ollie i really sort of switched on to the joys of of wine and sherry and mm. spirits and just really understanding it and and you know speaking of champagne I'm, i do remember an epiphany once at a very boozy restaurant launch where i suddenly realized it's about time i, I worked out what champagne i like 
because you go to these events and you just drink champagne, you know, and you think, I'm going to these events, drinking champagne, some nights I like it, some nights I don't, you know, but I never bother to, to stop and go, actually, I like that one, what is it? And I remember it was in Eric Chaveau's restaurant at the time in somewhere in Mayfair, and I was thinking, this champagne's delicious. So after about the third glass, I remembered my rule that I'd set myself of trying to find out, so I remember finding out, and it was Ruinart Blanc de Blanc, um, I don't know what vintage, and that was, you know, that was a really important moment for me, where I thought, okay, I can... I understand my little world of champagne a bit better where well, I like Blanc de Blanc if, uh, I like yeah. Art because it's got a bit of history to it but it was it's those moments where you suddenly be, you know the world of this sort of bamboozling array of different yeah. varieties and sorts oh, sort of shrinks to a moment where you think okay I can cope with this I can yeah. have some favourites and I love that, that we sort of get behind the label and you, you you do sort of fly behind enemy wines if you like it's just you know <laughs> it's, it's, it's just you're free because you just tasted it, it does you don't know what the label is and you're like I'm going to find out I think we, we had a similar experience actually James together at Theo Randall's place when yeah. it was the Campari moment and I was I just rediscovered Campari and I was so excited and I remember you were like okay, let's do this okay Campari and I'll never forget you were you were literally blown away and it became mm. like a proper bo- another bonding moment in our in our history and, and, and for it, every meeting we'd have a campari and soda. it was our drink uh, yeah. and only now are we becoming so fashionable media. 20 years later well, that's <laughs> how I fe- a great drink. but that's how yeah. i fell into the world of negronis and, and oh, proper yeah. cocktails and all those things and they're just all built around campari and it's incredible yeah. bitter orangey dryness yeah. which is just a magical drink to start your evening off you know you always immediately think that at all are you that not negroni a, do, that's do, what yeah. hester does all the time and we, he's always pushing Negronis at me. It's awful. Do you well, think Negronis it tastes like, like earwax? I've heard people say I can't drink it. because, And I, then I wonder if I actually therefore like the taste of earwax because I, I don't... I mean, it's, I'm now very confused. I love it. But <laughs> yeah. So, Jay, what's your what's your kind of go-to yeah, for, for a start of the... Yeah, what gets you revved up? What kicks off a yeah, Jay Taylor weekend? Kicks what's off a Jay Taylor weekend? Well, I have to... When it comes to cocktails, I really... I am very straight... It's... it's, it's um, Gin and tonic, unfortunately. Mm. I mean, it's nothing mm. exciting. But around yeah. here, we have an amazing thing called Ealing Gin, yeah. which is fabulous and really nice. And I, I, I was lucky enough for a while, or unlucky enough, I had my one of my um, offices was in Soho, and we were above um, this great gin bar, which used to be the Star Cafe, but then became a gin bar um, uh, on, the, on the corner of one of the small streets right by Crossrail when they were digging the holes, and the whole place, the whole office would shake. Um, and downstairs, they had this incredible tasting menu of all the different types of gin. And I really hadn't ever touched gin. I didn't know anything about it. And over the preceding sort of months, would go down there and it'd give you these... For me, the glassware is as important as the drink as well. It's, it's a good glass, I'm halfway in. And they're these massive goblets. And then they just had a huge sort of wheel of choices. And I'd go through them all, trying all these different ones. And I was like, this is brilliant. I could never remember what I'd had afterwards. But then I was in was in Ealing and they went into the office and the guy was like, oh, try this. It's the local one. And suddenly I had one of those moments. I was like, boom, this is, this yeah. is it. This is exactly what I like. Love that. And yeah, mm. and then that's just a bottle of that. And well, that, that there is... is, is it's moon juice, my friend. It is moon there juice. There you go. You, you put a UV juice. lamp over that big bulbous, you know, whatever. Yes. Where do you go? Goblet the of a great glass. Big and it, goblet. Yeah. The, the quinine in the in the tonic glows in the dark. I think it's a quinine anyway. I don't well, know. Well, unless they laced it yeah, with some quinine, sort of it? essence of moon. I mean, yeah. it was. I, I have never forgotten that. But I think that's the, that's the point of it, isn't it? These drinks all have, you know, amazingly subtle iterations and nuances that are very personal and do very deeply connect when they do. And I was really amazed. About three weeks ago, I was in Jerez. It was my first trip um, in two years because of the the pandemic. And it was just marvellous to be back in a bodega, tasting through sherry. And I was reminded that not all finos are the same. You know, they fractionally blend these incredible drinks. But I was tasting from cask. I was actually blending a sherry called Las Palmas, which is an honour that Gonzalez Basque asks somebody every year to come and, you know, take the reins of it. And I I was absolutely thrilled to bits to be asked to do it. You get to sign a barrel, you know, and there's a barrel there. The King of Spain signed a barrel. Spielberg signed a barrel. Roger Moore signed a barrel and then I've signed one and they're like can you write something on it and I was thinking oh what do I write let me out of here no I can't do that uh, Sherry forever <laughs> that'll do um, you know as though I was trapped in the cask and, and delighted by it but it was a real honour but the thing that really struck me is you know they fractionally blend Sherry you know that's how it's done you know cask to cask um, and every single cask tasted almost like a different drink they, wow. they have sort of family groupings around areas, you know, if it faces a particular wall. But throughout the winery, the knowledge and expertise of the cellar master 
just blew my mind. I just mm. thought you, to hold all that in one mind and make your notes and maintain a consistent style by fractionally blending all of these things together and then allowing various casks to have you know their own expression. They might bottle one if it's particularly good. I love that. And it's very much like your gin story, Jay, in that you know there really is a flavour. You can sort of navigate your way to your perfect moment with it. And it never ends. It never recedes. It's a tide that only ever keeps coming in. And I absolutely love it. You know, keep swimming. That's what I say. Oh. <laughs> and, Ollie, one of those things, we were talking about champagne and things. Yeah. I think huge, so many of moments when I'm drinking something, if you get it just right, you say, oh, I feel just like James Bond. Mm. I was going to say, what of all the drinks would be the one that anyone listening wants to have a James Bond moment? What would they have that is ultimately James Bond? Because while it is the martini shaken up stir, I don't think anyone... That's not necessarily going to give you a James Bond moment if you do it yourself. What yeah. would I have if I wanted to quintessentially become I think, him? I, th- I think if you really want to feel you know, the quintessential experience, I, I, do, I would actually go to Bollinger and I would specifically go to their RD, which stands for Recently Disgorged, Récemment Dégorgé. And it's basically, they sort of age it for a bit longer before they release it. And it has this, it's, it's a slight, slightly uncanny effect that it is both, it feels a little more uh, richer in a sense, but fresher. And it's a really bewitching, delicious spell of a drink. And it is a bit of a spend. It's a few hundred quid. But if you get it on release and then if you can be patient, you know, a few a few months even, you know, or, or just open it immediately. Why not? What am I even saying? Let's just get on with it. It's just too tasty. Um, but I, th- I, I do think it gives you that sense of occasion because if you, if you are going to spend the few hundred quid which it costs, you're invested, you know, and you want it to be nice. But I think, and again, you know, you don't necessarily need to spend money to enjoy great wine. But in this instance... I think it does weirdly work for the James Bond thing specifically. Yeah. Um, and think of the presentation, you know, it's, it does make a moment. Conversely, though, I always think a lot of people say to me, oh, I've got this really special bottle I was given when I retired or when I, you know, had a new baby in the family or whatever. When shall I drink it? And I always think the worry with these things is, you know, if you, if you put too much expectation on the wine and it doesn't yeah. quite live up to it, it can sort of slightly deflate an event. So, you know, with those bottles, in general, my advice is to just wait for a rainy Monday when you're feeling a bit grim about the world and just pop it open informally and enjoy it with someone you love. And then it's going to be fun. But I have a confession to make. So I have a Go confession on. to make on that point that I have a bottle of, of champagne that Gabby Roslin gave me because I was oh. working with Gabby when my daughter was born, which is now 18 years ago in our wine fridge. And and I've, I've, I've gone past the point of thinking, I oh, would we'll just open it, it might be fun because I suspect it's not. I suspect it's going to be dreadful. So we have to make the event bigger than the drink. Yeah. I heard, Ollie, you can correct me on this, but I heard someone say the other day, which I've started using as an excuse, that champagne goes off and you shouldn't keep it very long. Or is that nonsense? It does depend. I have had bottles of champagne that have been 100 years old. And that was at Paul Roger. They opened up a really, I think it was actually a 1914 bottle, if I remember correctly. I might have to check my notes. But I remember it being absolutely momentous. And it was intact. There were still a few bubbles in it, but it was very much a rich kind of savoury white wine more than anything. So if the quality there it can actually champagne age for quite a long time i think if you're looking for bottles that are bulletproof and bottles that will outlive us all madeira is the place to go because the wine is obviously already oxidized so you know you can leave effectively an open bottle of madeira on your table and it may change a little bit over a few years but realistically oh there it is so so what about a 1992 that's all they have Dom it next Perry. to you. Mate, it's going to be no, perfect. My wine fridge is next to me. I don't keep it with... People, uh, it's not my Hulk Hogan. People would pay a lot of money for that at auction, James. That's going to taste delicious. I predict... Right, I think you should go out, grab a bit of Comte, and just do that at like 2 o'clock in the afternoon with, with your Dom Perignon. Because oh. that, that's going to be... Dom, Dom actually does age really well, and it will have a savoury-rich character to it. But I think for the next time you come on the show, I, I think you're going to be surprised by how good that is. Or... This might be my last show if it's really valuable, guys. Well, you, this <laughs> is like from the Riviera. You gave him the quote then. You said it's quite expensive. I saw James's eyes do the thing that people really? do on the Antiques oh, yeah. Roadshow where they're like, oh, I don't care, really? How much? Sorry, yeah. And then they go, well, about 300. And you see him go, oh. Yeah, <laughs> I think those, but some of the years that are really good, like if you were going to get that, I mentioned a, um, RD, a year like 2002, which is legendary in Champagne, you, have a look online because you'd be amazed at the step up in price. And yeah, the quality is incredible, you know, and if you're into it, you really notice it. But like that standalone bottle, James, oh, that's going to mm. bring so much delight. Oh, do you know what else you could smash with it? 
few cheeky cheese straws. Lovely. <laughs> God, I love a cheese <laughs> some straw. Cheese, some cheese oh, sticks. Yeah. String. What about some cheesy I'm string? I'm in for that, honestly. <laughs> Don't get I it. think make, make the wine the centre of the table and just have all iterations of cheese. You could have uh, any type of cheese and then cheese-flavoured everything. Do that. Well, the other thing that I, I've bought in my time, which was apparently ages reasonably old, was white Rioja. Yeah. I don't know whether yeah. that's the case, yeah. but I had some... Um, was oh, it Vigna Tondonia? Yeah, Tondonia. From, from, we, we bought some from the year we... <laughs> this was my dream. And from the year Vicky and I got married, you see, which was 1999. So I bought... I saw some available, so I bought like three or four have bottles. Unfortunately... Uh, well, maybe I, you might have one, but obviously I loved it, but Vicky hated oh, really? it. So, <laughs> so I would just drink it alone every anniversary. It became really sad. Oh, that's nice. Oh. <laughs> Crying. I, I, I love those white riocas, though. They, they, I mean, you can get very modern, fresh ones, but but the older styles like Tondonia, um, they, they're really beautiful wines. They 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 have that burly, nutty, really kind of intense character. I actually tasted one this week, Marquez de los Rios. In Morrison's, Morrison's the best, I think, is the the own label. I think it was like twelve or fourteen quid. It honestly reminded me of like really top end, like incredible Burgundy, which is unaffordable to me now. It's just too much money. But I just had an absolute mind flash and thought we should all be drinking, you know, old school traditional white Rioja. I'm, oh, James, if you've got any of that Tondini left, I have a sneaky feeling they might have grubbed up. The vineyard, the white vineyard of Tondonia. I think they only do the red. I may be wrong there, oh. but I, I think, I think, I, That's... I think they might have done. So it could be that could be worth a few quid. Well, well, I'll, I'll have a look. Mm. look How exciting! I'll have a rubbish through the wine box and see what else is in <laughs> yeah, there. I'm very old. Well, yes, it sounds like you've got treasure in there. Well, this was always the thing. People think the wine you should keep for decades and decades and decades. You always read about sort of people passing on wine and wine coming up for auction from estates and things. But actually, I'm. I, I have swung to sort of Ollie's point, which is, you know, if you've got a good bottle of wine, you should just open it, really. I mean, I remember, I think yeah. it was, God, because Ken Hom is another person that but Ollie and I both know quite him. well, and he was a huge collector of, of wine, certainly French vintages and all sorts of stuff in his house in France. Um, and he said, I think he sold yeah. it all in one great big he lot, did. and he, he worked out that pretty much he got what he paid for it yeah. <laughs> after holding on to it for 15 years <laughs> or something. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, the markup wasn't as, you know, dramatic or as exciting as he'd always hoped. So, you know, that always stuck with with me as kind of do you know what you know i haven't got space to hoard five thousand no. bottles of wine so you know i just drink it where I, I can. agree it's there to be enjoyed you know and i think you know mm. my kind of glib motto with it has always been all for wine and wine for all because you know i, I think the point <laughs> of it is to, is to be shared you know it's to be enjoyed in good company with food and some of the simplest Absolutely. wine pairings in the world just make me so happy you know something cheap and cheerful like prosecco and mozzarella cheese you know it's so easy so spontaneous mm. so informal and it can transform you know just a moment in your life and yeah as these months get a little cooler in the northern hemisphere that'll work reminder of the summertime but equally our friends at the southern hemisphere they've got it all they've got the sun they've got the good <laughs> yeah. fizz they've got the lovely cheese oh i couldn't i'm telling you this is a world uniting discovery so can I ask, so, so if, if, if any of our listeners were close to a, a sort of an accessible wine shop in the next couple of days, mm. you know, like a high street one, is there, just give us one standout thing they should just run out and buy, you know, and then something that would go with it, just to, you know, for, for an affordable, you know, 15, 20 quid all in, yes. you know, wine and food, what, what, what one thing should they, what do you think offers the best value? I think at the moment, and M&S have this range called the Found Range, so that's Marks and Spencer's in the UK, and they have one called Nerello Cappuccio from Sicily that I tasted this week at their press tasting, um, and it's eight quid, and for eight quid, what you get is a wine that has just an absolute wealth of character so it's not necessarily a kind of wine that you're going to chuck back and think well this is nice and easy i'll just you know watch strictly and enjoy it it's it's a wine that has you know a little bit of dried herbs some bitterness some framing structure you know it's got a feeling in your mouth that that will just it accompanies food so brilliantly well so if it was me i just think a simple cheeky ragu with that i would I would be in absolute food heaven, and and I think lash in the sage. Don't you know? G don't go easy on the oregano. This wine can take herbs. It's sort of more towards the side of black olive than red wine, if you know what I mean. So it's a properly mm. grown up, big flavour, but it's it's got the magic thing. It's the balance, and it's intriguing, and it's not like any other wine I've tasted. So it's a Sicilian gem that you wouldn't normally find. So I definitely recommend that and decant it first. Pour it into a jug. You know, let it open up. 
you know, and show what it's got, and then straight into a glass. Oh, yes, and you were going to ask me about throwing some useless gadget into your vault of, of despair. Um, yes. And I th- I'm going to... Th- I think I'm going to... I know a lot of people are going to hate me for this, but I'm going to throw aerators in there for wine because they, you know, they're fun and they're a bit of theatre. But the reality is, pouring wine into a jug and then into a glass, it does the same thing. So, you know, spending a few hundred quid on a pond <laughs> posh aerator, I just... I mean, I get it, and I like them, you know, and I've got them myself. But actually... You just need a vessel. Let's let, let gravity do the work. The mm. aerator, the wine yeah. aerator, is now yours, Thank Ollie. You. That's fantastic. There it goes. We have uh, we've had quite a lot of people getting in touch uh, about their various different um, suggestions of things we should put in there. Grandma B got in touch, uh, and she said. Uh, this is she's now she's putting in this in because obviously into the the gadget hall of fame we can have the good and the bad oh yes this is a good one great so she basically said this is an olive spoon i've used for many years to get pickled onions and baby beets out of jars um and this is from karen grandma b and basically it's a spoon with a hole in it which i'd never seen before brilliant before they're great just one just one little hole one little hole in the spoon and in, in the middle of it so it's, it's, it's quite a nice looking silver spoon. I'll show it to you. Yeah, I want to see this. There. Oh, 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 it's like a teaspoon, literally like a polo effect. It's got a, yeah. a large hole. It's got an olive sized hole. I love it. I think that's genius. Mm. And I'm a massive pickled onion fan. I create my own. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, oh, yeah. oh, let me loose with a bit of spice and some vinegar. <laughs> you wouldn't believe the things that I'm concocting in my kitchen. Oh, it's a, it's a, it's the highway to the danger zone. I tell you. Yes, I've just remembered you. You, you keep bees and make your own honey, I don't do, you? Ollie? I do. I have yeah. for years. I'm, I'm now actually. I've gone full, full kind of insect and biodiversity. I've become the patron of the bumblebee conservation trust as well. I'm, I'm really, really loving the work pollinators do. And I think, to be honest, it's a bit of a reaction against you know my love for vineyards because the reality is a lot of vineyards around the world you know they're big business and they're monocultures um, and I'm all in favour of just breaking it up a bit getting a bit more diversity mm. in those vineyards you know whatever the planting might be a bit more mixed planting a bit more habitat you know just just leave a friendlier more sustainable example to the next generation I think if everybody just bears that in mind even one two three four five percent you know it will cumulatively you have such a big difference and you know I shall now get off my large b-shaped horse and uh, and walk back among <laughs> you here I am <laughs> I think you're right. Though. I think I think what a lot of people don't realise is that some of the wines they taste that have really interesting, complex flavours. Yeah, you know they come from that you know hugely diverse. Yes, you know sort of surroundings that the wine is grown in. Exactly. I, you know, and 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 I learned that lesson again. Again, all my wine lessons need to come from Ollie, and, and you know quite rightly so. But you know, we, we he I can't remember if you introduced me. Or I discovered it myself, and you told me why it was so good. It was a wine called Pitbull de Pinot. Yes, which is all grown on the southern sort of end of France yeah, over. In beds sea. with oyster shells by the sea yeah. with the sort of salty air washing over the grapes as they ripen and and once you know that it explains why this wine is so blooming delicious because yeah. it's got that salinity yeah. underneath it all that makes it just make you want to eat some some ham or some cheese or something and then you're away you are away you know, and, it, I, and that's from its environment that's not just that's not from the grape it, it's the same with all the wild flowers that you see growing around vineyards in Provence where I have been you know you see them and then you suddenly start to notice them and you start to think this wine's really interesting as opposed to just tasting of strawberries or black fruit or whatever this one's got touches of rosemary and wild fennel and just other things yeah you know the, ga- the, the garrigue effect you know the wild herbs around those vineyards blowing flavors into literally like it's kind of like oils on the wind you know and there's a lot of talk of this in the wine world as, as to how much emphasis and and flavor you will get from that but there's no doubt in my mind i've, I've tasted it you know i have tasted the flavour of like eucalyptus oil that's blown from a forest near a vineyard, mm. you know, in Australia. Yeah, yeah. Boldo is a tree in Chile that has an extraordinarily unique flavour, somewhere between uh, eucalyptus and rosemary. And, and I've, I've tasted that in wines, absolutely. And Pitbull is such a good example, James, because the, the, the phrase is, you know, that son terroir c'est la mer, that the sense of place behind this wine, it's, it's, the, it's the sea. And they literally grow pretty much with their roots in the ocean. And, and all of these things, if it, all we're really doing is basically saying, look, it, all these vineyards have a unique expression. You know, I, I like to think of vineyards as like a great poem, like a classical poem, and every year is like a, a different translator. You know, it won't ever be the same, but it'll be interesting, or but you know, it, it'd be a point of discussion. But I think all of the discussion we're having about just allowing the kind of mists to rise and just to be have a more direct access 
to that sense of what it could be, to that sense of unique character. Uh, for me, that's all it is. It's almost like it's it's unclenching the fist rather than kind of getting all worked up at it. It's like, look, just let the play speak. You know, you don't, there's no try as much as you can to bring about a sense of natural balance and harmony in these places, and you'll be delighted by the the not just the experience of tasting it, but by visiting it, by being part of that place, by working there. All of the things that make our lives intersect, and, and in my view, all the more valuable. Mm. And you'd think mm. we'd scripted this now because all this talk of the environment. Yeah. Yes, we we have a little thing on this which we started to call sort of cooking the or making the impossible. Last yes. week we were trying to um, capture and eat T Rex. This week, <laughs> yes, I, I, I thought I thought it would be uh, fun to ask you chaps about this idea. I was thinking, wouldn't it be great if we could make alcoholic clouds so when it rained you could just put your glass out the window? Mm. And I thought, well, how hard or easy? Could that actually be? And I've been doing some research into it. Yeah. Uh, but I just wanted to start off with the idea of what do you think, chaps? Do you think it would be something that you could you'd like if you knew the weather forecasters? And coming in from the easterly tonight, we're going to be having uh, gin gin storms could, followed by. <laughs> I, could, could this be one of the kind of like the porridge pot legend where you think, oh, it's going to be wonderful, and then you just can't stop it, and it's a raging torrent of oh, champagne, yeah. and it's like, oh no, my diamond <laughs> shoes are pinching just that bit too hard. Damn it, too much champagne. Um, I, d- I I think it would be amazing to be honest. I mean, if it was something you really love I mean if you're having a party I'll tell you what what about what about Heineken Heineken <laughs> clouds Heineken yeah. pub in the sky yes yeah, Heineken <laughs> sky I mean I, I don't know I, I, I don't know if there could be such a thing but yeah I think, I think no, drink, quite well. drinks clouds why not I think it's a lovely idea so obviously there is cloud seeding I've been reading up mm. on this I don't trust me I'm not an expert in cloud seeding but um, they modify the weather uh, by shooting silver iodide or other chemicals into the clouds yeah, to encourage precipitation. Who's doing this? I know. <laughs> I know. Chinese a lot. So this is Bond again, uh, isn't it? <laughs> yes. They've, they've used it to drop uh, fresh snow on, on mountains. And uh, in Beijing, before the Olympics, they wanted to make it rain. Really? So I think they wanted to get rid of the clouds. Mm. So they Because they, what, what you're trying to do is get... You're basically trying to get um, the, the ice... Here we go. The ice nuclei to form in the sky, which then gives it enough mass that the, the droplets can combine and then form. Because the the sky is already, the, the air around us is already moist and full of moisture. It's just to make a wake and make it coalesce enough that it can so it, fall down. If there's an icy element, I think we should think about icy drinks. You know, you know frozen margaritas, baby. Come on. Very true. Oh, yes. <laughs> or let it, Yeah, pina coladas. <laughs> oh, let it rain. Well, I was thinking about the evaporation because I was thinking you're going to have to have a giant lake somewhere where yes. someone's very just gently warming and stirring, yes. you know, whatever that might be. Well, don't you just lake. pop your glass out the window? Isn't that what, what well, you're talking about? Yeah, you've got about. to evaporate it first, right? You've got to get it into the atmosphere. Oh, oh, yeah, so maybe yeah, you need yeah. to evaporate the lake, the giant yeah. vodka lakes. Yeah, well, you could have lots of people on pedalos, sort of like dynamos, well, can... to thrash it up and get it kind well, of that's moving. That's it, isn't it? You just need some sonic power, don't you? you need you know you can do it through sort of you know vibration or whatever you know when they vaporize these things because there is an experimental kind of food pair called bompus and par that do think wonderful things with jellies and they did do vaporized drinks and they did an installation of kind of uh, alcoholic vapor so it wasn't quite raining but you would walk into this room where basically you would inhale you know 80 percent proof martini i guess you know with some flavors <laughs> Mum, <laughs> Ollie's face. Good. This is every library in the land. Henceforth, I should be. I've been into some Irish pubs that have a similar atmosphere. I'll be honest. <laughs> but you know, they they did this as an experiment and a, as a, an artistic endeavour, and I think it was it was certainly well received artistically. I don't know whether people were were sort of taking it for the nuances of the quality of what the you know they were the, the offering was, but certainly it is possible to do it as a vapour in the same way you could probably if you've got I've got one of those we've probably all got the most kind of spa vapour creator thing yes. somewhere just pour your vodka in it squirt 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 just see yeah. what happens you could just use a plant aerate you know the thing you spray plants with I've probably got one of those here what yeah. about those little volcanoes yeah mister volcanoes people have this is you yeah. know, na- next time anyone pops around for a drink I'm going to be misting into their face <laughs> I'm, I'm negroning all over them right. 
Is that the grony in the air? Like, yeah, it's really sticky. It smells a bit ginny in here. What's it? No, 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 no. I think it's fine. It's quite normal. I, might, I did have an experience. You've reminded me of a Christmas party I once held a diff- somewhere else for some neighbours and friends, and we made mulled wine. But everyone was too busy drinking wine and having champagne. But we completely left the mulled wine on the stove, oh. bubbling away until it always got until we realised what? Why is everyone so smashed? <laughs> 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 Vaporized about forty liters of mulled wine. <laughs> Basic Christmas tips. <laughs> well, I can. We are. We are unfortunately racing towards the end of this. But just to finish on, I will. I will better. Better. Just slightly better than your mulled wine pan. Um, there is a place that you can drink booze clouds. Ten thousand light years from Earth, such so a little bit of a distance. Uh, there is a massive cloud. Of alcohol discovered in 1995 near the constellation Aquila, Aquila, the cloud is a thousand times larger than the diameter of our solar system. Wow. Um, so there's enough ethanol alcohol there to fill 400 trillion trillion pints of beer, or Heineken in this instance. Well, as we are now talking about, and uh, to have that much alcohol, every single person on Earth would have to drink 300,000 pints every day for th- one I, billion years. I think wow. we're up to, up to the task, we without question. I've now got a massive interest in phoning up Jeff Bezos and booking my place Bezos, absolutely. after that's Shatner. Doing the same I'm route. like, listen, I know you've done Shatner and he's the oldest and that's great. <laughs> Kirk, fantastic. Can we go a bit further? Because I've heard there's this booze cloud. <laughs> booze cloud. I will be leaving the, the rocket ship. What's the name of the constellation? Just, Aquila. Yeah. Aquila, Aquila. Not tequila. Tequila. Wonderful. Well, with that, uh, as Ollie sets off to the stars, uh, Ollie, that's been an absolute delight speaking to you. Thank you so much. You really have that that thing that anyone who's an expert uh, on something has combines with passion, and the passion just spills out of you. And it's not exclusive; it's utterly inclusive, and it's really inspiring and wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. I've had a really, really lovely time. And hello, wherever you are in the world, listening to this, and thank you for listening. And uh, please do go and listen to Ollie's podcast uh, because you've been doing it for a lot. Well, he's been doing it for about the same time as us, actually. I think you're up to like mid seventies episodes, yeah, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. I think it's probably five, six, maybe eight years. I've been doing it now, but I've, I've, yeah, it's been sporadic, but now more regular. But yeah, every couple of weeks you find a new episode. Mm. Any, 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 with anybody coming up, you can, you can hint at. Or yeah, not? totally. No, I can. I, I'm sure I can. Um, I actually, yeah. Who did I record today? Ben Miller, lovely chap. Oh, right. Yeah, oh, Ben was lovely. And then I've got coming up. I'm, I think I'm probably allowed to. Am I allowed to reveal? I probably I'm am. Sorry, I, no, none of our listeners will tell. Don't well, worry they're about not. it. They're fine. We trust them. I think, I think, trust them. I think we might have Jennifer Saunders coming on, but I can't. What? I can't. Oh, I, it's a, I can't guarantee that's a, that's a complete set, isn't it? It's a French and Saunders double. Dawn French. She was at, uh, having a curry with Dawn French after recording my podcast. Oh. One of the greatest evenings of my life. I have to come back on the show to tell you all about that. And um, we enjoy. I tell you what, we found this really nice local beer called Heineken. Amazing stuff. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard of it. But it's re- turns out <laughs> made in <Ollie>. Cornwall. <laughs> Thank you so much, James. A pleasure as always going on a boozy adventure with you. Uh, until next week, sir. <laughs> See you soon.